Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. Welcome to the Russian version of Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Hi, <laughs> Father Nathan. Father Michael. What what is the what's the tagline for Advent? Do you guys uh, have one? We don't. You mean like the greeting? Yeah, we don't. What once once? What's the hashtag for the Byzantines? <laughs> Byzantine hashtag. What once Christmas uh, starts on Christmas morning, we will say Christ is born. Glorify Him. Very nice. Very nice. Actually, that that's how we uh, we don't really have any like preparation greetings. It's always you start the greeting on the day of your celebration. And you'd keep to the normal glory to Jesus Christ or Christ is among us uh, during the uh, preparation seasons, which we're in now, and which uh, this one will talk about in a preparation season. Wait, so, uh, there was some, there was some experience. Where was that? Where I actually was able to give the proper greeting, and they kind of looked at me like, "What?" <laughs> oh, you were near, around Byzantines? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Anyways, I tend to uh, like. Like when we were in Italy, like my, my friend Leodero jokes that when she met the Holy Father, because like she was able to like hold her child and actually shake his hand like a personal greeting. Wow. And uh, when he asked for her, for her, the name of her husband, because she said, pray for my husband. And, and he asked like, what's his name? And she said, Ricardo. And she's never called him that ever. <laughs> but since it was like, she's in Italy and she knows he speaks Spanish, she didn't mean to say it, it just kind of came out. Uh-huh. You know, well, when we were in Italy, I tend to do that too. You know, it's like, I, you just, you, even to your brothers who you know speak perfect English, <laughs> you kind of overdo it with the accent or something like that. Just like our, one of our yeah. brothers who tends to order Italian food with a... <laughs> oh, yes. Very strong Italian accent here very, in the United States. Very strong. He's like a cartoon character. <laughs> I would like a pizza pie. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, we're in the U.S. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> These kids are in Brooklyn. <laughs> so is his real name Ricardo? No, it's Ricky. I mean, she calls him Ricky or Rick. I mean, that's Ricky, it. Rick, Rich. Yeah. Rich, yeah. But she, so when he asked his name, she's never answered like she's married to Ricardo, but she answered it then just because it was... Ricardo. <laughs> And uh, the Holy Father smiled, and she kind of looked shocked. And I was on the other side. I was I was in the uh, the economy seats. She was up in <laughs> up in first class. <laughs> I asked somebody like, do they actually like vet you for your marriage license or whatever? Oh, if you're up there for the marriage blessing, could yeah. you just like wear a wedding dress? We should have tried it. You could have worn the wedding dress, and I'd have worn a tux. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing they do. I'm guessing they do. You got to have your marriage license. I mean, because you get, yeah, I'm pretty sure you do. And because that's how they measure, well, within the first year or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it has to be within yeah. the first year. Yeah, so we saw a couple of pregos when we were there. True. Pregnant women in wedding dresses and little honeymoon babies, we will assume. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep, we're back. This, is this the first time we podcasted yeah. since we got back? It's Man. not the first time that's come out since we've got back. I feel back. like, I still feel jet lagged. Do you? Like, not from the trip, yeah. but just because when I came back, I had so much. Oh, yeah. So much. And then my family came in town, and uh, they like to party. Okay. They like to party. And um, they're early risers. Ah. So. Well, that's well, we, our version of jet lag, though, coming back, I, I found myself waking up earlier. I was exhausted in the evenings, mm-hmm. but I'd wake up. The first night back, I woke up naturally at 3 a.m., Went back to sleep, thank God. Ugh. After that, it was maybe like five and then six, and now I'm back to normal. I'm wanting to sleep until two in the afternoon. But yeah, when we first got back, I'd wake up naturally early, early, and I was loving it. I was like, I wish I was like this all the time. That's why I was looking at you in the shop today, because in the pizza place, yeah. because I had a dream. I had a dream that like one of your cigar buddies like became the bishop of something <laughs> nice. and you started to like discern whether or not to change rights. But I can't, I can't remember if this was like real <laughs> or whenever. So anyways. Yeah. I've, I've had, I definitely had some weird dreams because I think it's, I always dream the craziest, as I've said before, but after waking up the first time and then like you fall back asleep again, at least right. remembering my dreams yeah, at that time. Right. So I've had a lot of that since the jet lag. 
Because of the jet lag. Yep. So yeah, Italy was absolutely amazing. I thought trip of a lifetime. We were with 30 of our St. Paul companion brothers, the founders, um, up in Assisi, had a few days of retreat, and then we just got our 11 homeboys from Denver and went down to Positano, saw the tomb of Matthew in uh, Amalfi, saw the tomb of... Andrew. Uh, sorry, Andrew in Amalfi, should have known that, and uh, Matthew in uh, Salerno. That was that was awesome. Yeah. I actually had a much more prayerful, pow- powerful prayer experience in Matthew. I think it was just the day. Because mm-hmm. the, the the tombs looked almost exactly the same. They had the same art, same architecture, same artist. Same artist, yeah. Yeah, had done it. And it was beautiful, but it, it really did. You know, I, as I've said before, our churches are supposed to look like Eden. I mean, it's supposed to look like a paradise when you walk into them. And that's kind of how I felt these were. It wasn't like meant to look like plants and animals, but the the paintings and then the the way the, the columns came down, kind of the way they were arched, looked like the bases of trees, like you know? Trees, yeah. And there was always something to look at. I just, I just kind of wanted to wander around the tomb, especially in Salerno. Just wander around it, just being being prayerful. <laughs> you know? The guy, the guy explained that that because uh, it was different scenes from the life of Christ, yeah. And it begins like at the at the beginning, like of his life. And if you keep walking forward towards the tomb, ah. uh, it advances in his life. So I thought it was just kind of like random scenes or whatever. But so it was actually, there was actually an order, and he said it's because the people couldn't read. Yeah, right. So they would they would do that. I was like, that's right. that's brilliant. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember sitting in there thinking, thinking like, if I was a little kid and I lived near this church, I would just be here all the time. I would like hung out down here. It was just kind of a cool place to just be, exist, to rest. Um, it was. I think shoot some BB guns. Yeah. You know? Well, I would have had a very different childhood, I guess. Um, right. In my mind, in my my estimation. Albuquerque, Salerno. <laughs> well, they're both. They would have used real bullets in Salerno. Yeah. Right. Back in the day, especially, mm-hmm. um, I had a very powerful power experience at Matthew because I thought, as I as we knelt down at his tomb, I I kind of had this this uh, vision. Just I was kind of going through the, the story of his call in the Bible and thinking, okay, he was at his you know tax collector's booth. Jesus came up, Jesus called him, he followed him, they went back to their house, his house, and in his house was this, kind of this crazy mix of people. There was all of his sinner friends, yeah. all of his tactical. Tax collector friends. Exactly. Somehow the Pharisees were there judging him. Maybe they were outside or whatever. Um, but I mean, at Thomas Aquinas College, where I went for a year, they have this thing called Don Rags. And Don Rags is, is near the end of the semester. You sit in a room with all of your professors. Every single one of them is in that room with you. It's you and them. And they're sitting around a big table and they talk about you like you're not there. So it's Mr. O'Loughlin does this in class, Mr. O'Loughlin does this in class, and they talk about you, and you just sit there listening. And it, it can be awkward if, you, if you're not ready for it. And then at the end, one of them, the moderator, turns to you and says, Mr. O'Loughlin, what do you have to say about what you've just heard? Or do you have any response to what you've just heard? Like this, this discussion oh, yeah. about you. And, um, you know, and so, but I, I, I had that image of kind of Matthew hearing the, the Pharisees say about him, Jesus is eating with, with a sinner. And then Jesus says, I've come here to heal the sin. I've come here to heal the broken. I've come here to heal the weak. And it's like, Matthew just feels like, okay, Jesus and the Pharisees are talking about me. They know I'm here, <laughs> right. but they're talking about me like I'm not here. Um, the same thing happens with like, with them, I see my nieces and nephews. My nieces and nephews will like, will, t- will be telling a story about them and they're in the room and they'll be hearing us tell a story about them. And one time my little nephew Gabriel kind of looked over at us kind of sheepishly, a little bit embarrassed because we were telling a funny story, something funny he had done. And I remember thinking that's probably kind of how Matthew felt. They're talking about him with him there, but it, it's, Maybe a little bit embarrassing, but even more so, it's beautiful because, of course, Christ is saying, I know he's a sinner. I know he is. He's not trying to fool anybody, right? I'm here eating with sinners, and I mean to be here eating with sinners because I've come to heal those who are sinners. And so Matthew, kind of the embarrassment of his sin, hearing Jesus and the, and the kind of the adults talking, you know, with him listening in about what and then Jesus saying, this is what I'm going to do with him. I'm going to heal him. I'm going to bring him closer to me. And so I think that kind of kicked off more of a a brotherhood I felt with Matthew when I was there. And then of course his body's right there and this is his church and we're in Italy. So it was kind of a, and we didn't steal him. Yeah. <laughs> this time, this time <laughs> as, as the only Byzantine in the group, we did have a, we did have some discussions about how did these bodies end here end up here? Yeah. <laughs> they died in the East and they're in Italy somehow. <laughs> Look, they just said like, I don't care where you bury me, just as long as it's like, you know, near pasta. <laughs> they don't like feta. 
They don't like feta. Right, right. Actually, uh, part of, I know, I think, I think at least Andrew's in three parts now to get morbid for a second. He's, cer- he's certainly there in, uh, in Amalfi, and then he's also in somewhere in Greece, and then is now also somewhere in Constantinople. Nice. So, so he's spread yeah. around. Relics are spread around. That's, that's a good thing. We all get access to the grace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say, you know, of the whole trip, you know, if you actually wanted to scrap your topic and just do your homily from St. Andrew... I thought that was the best homily of the whole trip. Oh, wow. I'm actually, I am doing part of that. Literally. I sat there, I, I probably thought about that for the next like three days. Oh, and, and, thank you. And just kept, you know, going back into that. So anyways, um, no offense, Father John, who actually <laughs> preached. Um, I'm, I was actually really annoyed at Father John, public confession. Um, in, okay, backstory. Ah... Uh, Okay, this is gonna get this is gonna get ugly. Um, <laughs> Gloves are coming off. The uh, not about Father John, oh, but okay. um, there's this thing called the Dallas Charter. Yes, and because of the Dallas Charter, which came after the sex abuse crisis in the late '90s, early 2000s, um, all of the bishops, or I should say, all but two of the bishops in the United States, signed this charter, where they were going to, you know, be a little more stringent on clerical sex abuse, which is not a bad thing, but it's in, in some ways, instead of being uh, innocent until proven guilty and the, under the Dallas charter, a priest is guilty until proven innocent. Um, But one of the effects of the Dallas charter, and I don't know if this was an unintended or intended effect was that dioceses no longer issue celebrate cards a celebrate card um, is the proof that I am celibate. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I usually take that to the bar, and when the ladies ask, they're like, hey, why don't you have a drink with me? I just pull out this card. I'm like, hey, celebrate. Read the card. <laughs> Read the card. Um, no. Like, uh, some people some people choose celibacy. Other times, celibacy chooses them. <laughs> Um, but no, celebrate just means uh, to celebrate, a- able to celebrate, and it means that if you have a celebrate card, you can go and celebrate mass, right? Wherever, right? So if I went to Africa and I had a celebrate card, I would just show that to the sacristan, and then he would say, "Fine, set up the mass, etc." And you were given this by your bishop when you became right. a priest, and you yeah. and you get it every year. Okay. I think. Okay. I think it's renewed every year, so long as you didn't do anything. Out of the ordinary, you got a you got a new celebrate card. Okay. You know. Now, if I want to go home for a week, if I want to go home for a week to my my family's house, which is in the Springfield Diocese, and I happen to be going up to my brother's uh, house, which is in the Peoria Diocese, or I'm going to go see my friend Father Tom Byrne in the Chicago Diocese, um, I have to get letters sent to every single one of those places. Yeah. And I have to say, these are the dates that I'm going to be there, and uh, I'm in good standing, and, you know, like, there's no, you know, I, I'm not a man of ill repute or whatever, right. and I'm capable of saying Mass. Right. So, um, anyways, the uh, we we don't have celebrate cards anymore. You have to get these stupid letters, Right. So we had all of our letters, you know, and Father Brady had them, but, and this is not against Father Brady, because Lord knows that he did an amazing job on the trip, but uh, he didn't bring, we were never asked for our letters the entire time. Yep. And then on the last but mass- he had them every time. <laughs> he had them every time. The last mass at the, at the tomb of St. Philip Neri, um, Father Daniel Eusterman was supposed to celebrate mass, and yeah. he, couldn't, he couldn't join us. So it was a free, I mean, it was open. It's fair game. Right. And um, they said, anybody can anybody find any letter of good standing? Mm. And because I couldn't access my internet on the, you know, like while I was over there, and because I didn't save a copy of these letters of good standing on my phone, I was denied the opportunity to be the main celebrant mm. at the, the tomb of St. Philip Neri, whereas Father John 
when he walked in, the priest said, you know, like, do you have any papers? He pulled out his celebrate card, which was issued to him by the Italian, like, yeah. you know, diocese that he's in, right. because they actually, like, make sense, and he was able to say Mass. Yeah. So I was just like, you know what? Screw you, people. <laughs> Screw you. So... Actually, it wasn't the priest, if you remember. It was the, it was this, it was the sacristan. This, yeah. this sacristan who, do you remember his name? Oh, you and I were the only two that were exactly, there. Exactly, yeah. Um, I don't remember his name, but this guy supposedly was homeless and wow. w- was sleeping on the doors of the, of the steps of this church for like years. And finally, the pastor just kind of walked out there and was like, hey, you're here all the time. You know, can I pay you to kind of keep an eye on the place? And mm-hmm. the guy's like, sure. And now he's the sacristan. He sits there like at least eight hours a day. Yeah. He's the only guy that asks for a celebrate, which is kind of like the only guy that, that that's taking that part of his job seriously yeah, good. You know, in the whole time. But yeah, I, I can see how that'd be frustrating because I honestly didn't know much about St. Philip Neri before we went there. I had heard his name, of course, but yeah. but I, I didn't, I mean, he's my kind of guy, you know, it was kind oh, yeah. of the, the, the humor and the kind of a, a joker and a yeah. we'll do the we'll do a podcast on yeah, that's a good idea but anyways father john since he was the only one to have a celebrate card he was the main homilist and preacher so it was just like <sighs> yeah all because of you know certain decisions so okay <laughs> final thing okay we all have entrepreneurs out there that want to make a little money right so if somebody wants to take this idea and run with it fine right so what we have to do, what we have to do is we have to call our diocese and tell them we're going to be gone and where we're going to go, and they have to call that diocese or email them or fax them right. um, all these copies. What if we had an online database, online database, mm-hmm. and you got uh, a code, you know, like you had a little card that had your code on it, 973-2, whatever, and then uh, you... Uh, you know, we're able to ask the question, are you a priest in good standing? Yes. What is your code number? 973-2. They look it up and it says in the annotations, dude has a mullet, but he's legit. <laughs> and then you could say mass, you know? It's, this would save so much time. Yeah, it will, but every diocese would have to adopt that. Every diocese has to do the stupid Virtus training. They have got to do yeah. all of this. Like, oh, that's true. You know, in, the, in the U.S. In the U.S. Don't get me started. Some I'm of the not most... even drinking today, folks, <laughs> and I'm, I just I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, that's part of the problem. Um, the, uh, the the in when we were traveling in Spain and Portugal, the grumpiest people I ever ran into were sacristans. Yeah. Like everywhere we went, except Santiago. That nun was loving and beautiful and patted me on the side of the face and just said, Pellegrino, you know, pilgrim. And, right. and she just smiled the whole time. It was amazing. But yeah, sacristans, oof. Uh, my, my own sacristan, Reverend Father, no, no, Father Deacon Basil. Yeah. His wife posted something on Facebook today that he went to Starbucks and they, they pronounced it B-A-Z-Z-L-E. <laughs> Basil, <laughs> like Basil. They said Basil, but it was like like Basil, like <laughs> Dazzle or something. Like <laughs> Basil. Okay. <laughs> start calling him Rainbow Bright. <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I want to ask you, I guess, to be my topic, and it, it kind of it fits in with with um, easy transition. Talking about relics and and other things, like I guess even the celebrate. Actually, the celebrate's a very good example. Um, but what what are you you know like college football much better than I do? Yes. What what are some what are some college football like like sacramentals ways that college football uses tangible things in order to express something about the attitude of that school or of that team? Well, you have <laughs> uh, so like. Whenever Ohio State, which I think this is so pretentious, okay. uh, whenever they say they're from Ohio State University, they ah. say the okay. Ohio State University. Right. Um, or um, some people say the U, which is for, uh, I think, Miami. Okay. Um, for, uh, let's see here, for the Florida State Seminoles, they have uh, uh, a guy dressed up in like a... Uh, Indian garb, and then he goes to the center of the of the of the fifty yard line or whatever, and throws a flaming spear into the center of the 
of the icon of his uh, face, like during the war chant. Sounds okay. amazing. So all all these traditions that bind them together and kind of keep keep the spirit going. Right. Um, you also have like songs, th- right? Which are kind of you know like different ones. Which I actually got USC's song right over Andrea Polito, who had actually once taped up. Um, Reggie Bush's ankle in high school, um, and she went to the USC <laughs> game. But uh, yeah, because um, I would always listen to the Notre Dame USC game. And uh, right. back in the day, you used to hear the USC song a lot more than you know, like the Notre Dame song because mm. they were scoring more touchdowns. Okay. So when I hear it, I get a little indigestion. <laughs> so well, I, mean, I remember like like to play like a champion, right? So every Notre Dame guy right. as he's leaving the uh, exactly the the room, you know, will will smack the sign, play like a champion. Yeah, have, have you heard of the newest one? No, this is Probably amazing. Okay. So um, the newest tradition in college football is um, at the University of Iowa. Okay. Shout out to uh, Gina and Dana Denning. Okay. Big Iowa Hawkeye fans. Dana Denning loves to rub it in that Iowa's always beating Illinois and everything. Um, the uh, the stadium is right next to the children's hospital. Mm. So oh, I the, did see that. Yeah, at the at like at the beginning of the game, they all turn and wave at the the kids in yeah. the children's hospital. I mean, like I get goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps beautiful. right now. Yeah. So yeah. and that's gonna like continue on. So yeah, and, so, and that, that's a good example. Some of these traditions aren't a very good example of what I'm getting at, but that one is. There is a uh, okay. There, there, no, I mean, even even mine. I was just I was just trying to find. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even say what the topic was. You didn't know. Um, um, but, but they're like, these are, these are, wh- wh- who, who coined the phrase? It was, it was some, I, I believe some scholastic theologian, um, the sacraments are an outward sign of an inward reality. Mm-hmm. Was that Augustine Aquinas? Someone, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, it's kind of the definition of a sacrament. Um, the, so that there are, there are ways that, that sacraments express um, viscerally, outwardly, something that we cannot perceive. So like baptism, we use water, we use olive oil, right? Olive oil that becomes chrism, that perfumes the spices in it. Right. We also use it, you know, Roman Catholics use it for the oil of catechumens. We do as well. We just take olive oil and bless it for that purpose. Um, and then you use water, you dunk the child. Th- these are these are outward signs to say this child is being healed. That's what the olive oil is, because mm-hmm. as, as you know from the Good Samaritan, um, this child is being is dying and being reborn. That's what the water is. They're also being cleansed, hence the water. Um, so, the, and every sacrament, all the seven of the main sacraments, what we call the right. holy mysteries, all seven have these outward things. Um, but as I said in my homily when we were in Italy, th- th- we it shouldn't stop there. It can be like we can have... In other words, having sacramentals, even in the secular world, if they're not spiritual, these can be cathartic. In other words, if I try to express to my non-Christian friends what baptism is, I'm like, they are being reborn. They are dying to sin, being reborn into Christ. They are participating in the life of the Trinity. They're becoming members of the body of Christ in the church. Like, this makes no sense to them. But if you say, come to the event, you can see me using signs that symbolize healing, Signs, huh. things that yep. symbolize, you know, death and life. It, it's just, it's a kind of a, a, a sacred show and tell in a sense. And, but it's not only for non-Christians, it's for us. When right, we see right. this, we understand what's actually happening. John, uh, Father John said when we were, when we were in uh, eating pizza one day, I think we were in Salerno. And he said, do your people in the Byzantine church, since you have so many smells and bells, do you think they actually understand the 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 connection between symbolism and reality better than most human beings do nowadays, and mm-hmm. I said, I hope so. I mean, we we do have so many things like if 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 I am not, and this might be a simple ex- example, but if I'm not feeling that my prayers are being heard, if I'm just trying to sit and pray in my room, I'm not feeling they're being heard. The church has symbols to show that our prayers are being heard. If you look at an icon, the nose in almost any icon is very pronounced. Especially our lords. You draw both sides of the nose. The nose is usually longer than it is in a human being. The nose is more pronounced. Now, it looks odd if you don't know that that's, that's what makes kind of the face look odd. But if you look at the face of an icon, the forehead is always higher than it should be. The eyes are bigger. The mouth is smaller yeah. for humility. And the nose is more pronounced because 
the way we sh- symbolize prayer in the church, of course, is incense. incense. Yeah. So when you show a pronounced nose on an icon, that means that they are very receptive and per- can perceive our prayers very well. Hmm. So if I'm having trouble, if I'm struggling in prayer and I'm saying, I just don't feel like my prayers are being heard, go to your icon corner, light up your incense, look at your icon, look at the very pronounced nose on our Lord and say- Listen to some doors. <laughs> You know, right. like. do something emo, you know, but, but there's, there, 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 there's something, there's something very visceral about that. I'm seeing with my eyes, I'm smelling with my nose, I'm, I'm hearing with my ears, my, my basic human five senses are being engaged to help explain something I'm not feeling deep inside me. And so the sacraments and the sacramentals are an immense gift from God to the church in order to live out our faith in a very, very human way. And they teach us about our faith. So if we're children and we're learning about the sacrament of baptism, we can say, hey, look at these different things. They teach you about baptism. But there's a whole second thing, and this is what I'm getting at. If if I if I am feeling a, a certain way or experiencing something and I need it to become more real to understand it better, I can use sacramentals in that way. Right. Yeah, they're sacramentals... You're not talking about sacraments. Well, yeah, I mean, it, the, the same idea. And, and sacraments can work too, but these yeah. sacramentals are the aspects, the tangible things used in sacraments and elsewhere. Right. Yeah. So a sacramental is uh, an outward sign, an outward sign of an inward reality given by the church, right? not necessarily given by Christ. Um, right, right. Uh, so, I mean, that's... That's kind of the major difference between the two. So, uh, but both both are capable of of communicating grace. Yeah. So, so I, would you, would you be able to say, in my ignorant speak here, that that a sacrament uses sacramentals within the sacrament? I mean, would you say that water and oil and tangible, crowns in marriage, yeah, for us? tangible signs, yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, and I mean, I'm, yeah. Let, let me let me just step east where where I know, where I actually know what I'm talking Let's about. Just so like, step east. <laughs> no, I mean I think it's. I hear what you're. I hear what you're saying. I'm not disagreeing with you. So yeah. So like in we use the word mystery, which is just the Greek word, and 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 I, I'm guessing Jerome translated mysterion, the Greek word, into sacramentum, right? I mean that that's what he used, like in Ephesians five. Um, where where yeah. St. Paul says, I, this is a great sacrament I mean, between Christ and the church, right. meaning marriage. Um, and, and so the, the Latin there is sacrament, sacramentum, but then the Greek is mysterion. Well, um, mysterion, the Greek mystery, we call them holy mysteries. You don't call them sacraments, you call them the seven holy mysteries. Um, mystery um, comes from, the, the root of it is just mouth shut. It just means silence. You know, uh-huh. so, so there's something silent, um, something hidden. And this is, of course, even what we oftentimes mean by the word mystery. It, it's something that's not obvious. Um, but as in Christian terms, um, there's nothing that is that is hidden that will not be brought to light. So the, the, the revelation, the light of Christ illumines everything. So a mystery means something that is both hidden and revealed. So that's in that sense, that's what you have. You, you, I do not see that baby die to sin and be reborn in Christ. They don't look any different with my eyes, um, you know, but I've seen these things with my eyes and I've, I smell the chrism on their head, et cetera. I mean, there, there's all these things that are visceral aspects of it. Um, so there's something revealed in that. Yeah. So just from the action. Right. And the sign value. But it's very real, and that's an important thing to say. This child actually does die to sin and is reborn. They participate right. in Christ's death and resurrection. Yeah. There's this something is, really happening. Yeah. It's just not visible to us. This is, uh, this is uh, Augustine's, Augustine's sacramental kind mm. of theology where he talks about uh, res tantum, um, what is it? Res tantum, ah, Oh, I, I am so stupid. Stupid. <laughs> Just a weird day. <laughs> it's a weird day. We all know you're not stupid. <sighs> I can't remember it. Okay, well, I think if you, I'm losing brain cells. What is happening? Have you had this house tested for radon? <laughs> I'm actually doing that now because I am kind of worried. I'm like, I, I, I'm getting older quicker. My brain's getting older quicker than my body is, so I'm testing my house for radon. Radon, if you're not from Colorado, radon's like, in Colorado, just radiation kind of seeps into our basements, in the ground. It's kind of a crazy thing. Res et... 
Some anyway. some Augustinian scholars like yelling into the thing. <laughs> uh, uh, anyways, he's there's the there's the mystery, and then there's the sign, uh, and then there's the sign and the mystery. Um, so if you just if if you just mute everything, like I was actually thinking about this the other day, actually today. Um, if you if you did you know like uh, just a video without any sound of like the mass or the liturgy. Mm. Or a baptism, right. people would have a pretty good idea, and that's the, all the time we have. Thank you so much, folks. <laughs> Where the heck is my? That's right, the chair right next to you, to your left. Shut it. Okay. Um, it's four fifty. That's what it's telling me. Oh, okay. It's time to get out of the confessional. Um, yeah, and you would actually you you'd be able to explain something of that. Mm-hmm. You'd be able to explain. Okay, this is kind of what I think's going on. Right. Um, and uh, I was thinking about that with marriage. Like, if you just muted a marriage ceremony, mm. what would you be able to tell? If you didn't know anything about what marriage was, could you kind of say, like, something's being expressed between the two of them of their union and of their love? Yeah. And, you know, um, so anyways, um, so you have, like, the sign of that, and then you have the mystery underneath that. Like, what's actually happening like that this child is being, you know, cleansed of original right. sin. Yeah. And then you have both together, mm. and then you have al- almost a different different reality or a fuller reality that's being expressed. Yeah. So yeah. anyway. Exactly. Uh, it is a fuller reality when, when you when you have the human and the and the spiritual, the divine I'm working together, of course. I'm not going to look it up. Okay. I'm not yeah. going to get on my phone. <laughs> well, you come back to it if it happens. So, um, so there's something about... That's been on my mind. Obviously, I, I talked about it the past couple of podcasts. I think, what do we do if, if like I said earlier, I, I don't feel my prayers being heard by God? Sure. So I, I do something sacramental. I do something you know tangible. What do I do? Well, let me ask you this: mm-hmm. If if like our churches obviously have different regulations, but but my bishop has said that I cannot tell my people to do any more during the fast during this Philip's fast. I cannot tell them to do anything more. As far as living an ascetic life, I cannot tell them more prayer, fasting, and almsgiving than he makes himself as a regulation. And the only rule that our eparchy has said right. is no meat on Fridays, which nothing changes. So we're in a minor fast, nothing changes. A couple of our priests, I've never done this, but they put in the bulletin different regulations, more intense regulations than he said. And he said, you cannot put that in the bulletin because that rule comes from me. Right. So, um, which is true. Yeah. So, so when I, when I tell people, this is what the bishop says. He says, no, be done Fridays, but the tradition is stronger than that. And if I say, you know, the tradition is no meat, dairy, wine, or oil Monday through Friday, no meat or dairy Saturday and Sunday. And if I tell them, what do you think the average American response is to that? Like if I'm, if I'm encouraging them just as a pastor, this is not a rule, but here's the regulations. What do you think the response is to that? You're too strict. Yeah, the, you're, you're too strict. And so they put it on me. But why, why do you think they say that? Because it doesn't matter. When I, when I asked this, I asked this in a homily at my parish, and the responses were perfect. One of the girls was just like, when I, when I say that, what do you say? And she says, no. Yeah. <laughs> it was just that simple. And then somebody said, I'm too weak. Right. And I, like, I think that's why we say you're too strict, because it really does point back at us. I can't do that. I can't go... I can't go every day without eating meat. Add no dairy to that. In other words, even if the practical things are gone, like cost, like shopping, it's like I am too weak to to follow the stricter traditions in this. Why 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 did the church say that you you can now eat meat on Fridays? You just need to do an alternate penance. I think they thought it's too hard. Why do, why do many so many dioceses take away days of obligation? You know, um, and and saying we'll move to the nearest Sunday because it's too hard. But I believe that that. These rules are set in place to allow us to feel stronger, to, in other words, to not feel our weaknesses often. I don't want to think about my weaknesses often. Therefore, sure. in a sense, I change the rules, and the church is merciful. The church does this. But I think that actually the opposite could be effective. I don't think it's asceticism. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is not for the strong, even though we think it is. We think if we intensify our prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, that that is only, only the strong people— they're strong spiritually, only they intensify it. And I think the exact opposite is true. And I think the devil's in the details. So I think that asceticism, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is a sacramental for our weakness. Mm-hmm. 
In other words, I feel weak. And what is, what is the tangible, visceral way that I express sacramentally, using sacramentals, how do I express that weakness? If I want to feel my, like, perceive my prayer being accepted by God, I light incense in front of an icon. What do I want to do if I want to feel, if I want to have the catharsis? The catharsis, the rest that comes from saying, I've done something and now I feel better. If I feel weak, what do I do to feel better? I think that prayer, fasting, and almsgiving and intensifying those things are a sacramental for our yeah, weakness. And when we feel am- weak, we can do those things. I think they amplify your prayer. They kind of re-echo your prayer because instead of just saying, well, this is my intention, well, then you need to repeat your intention. You need to you need to almost berate, uh, I mean, if that can be used in a right? positive sense. Uh, to like the old woman in the scriptures, like and the 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 judge who doesn't care about God or man, but he's going to give the woman what she wants because she keeps you know asking she you know incessantly. If you fast, you're actually making yourself weaker because you're like Lord, I I really want this, and I want you to show. I want to demonstrate like my desire, and I will withhold with with yeah, I will with. I'm really like I might I might be having a stroke. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even have any booze with lunch today. I withhold certain things from my life because I want this for myself. Yeah. Um because I see this as a higher good. And then I will divest myself of certain material goods and and almsgiving because these other things don't matter to me. I want I really want this. Yeah. So but I think when you when you have exactly, but when you have all three taken separately, like you just talked about prayer, when you have fasting, it's like I feel weak, and so the normal human reaction is to say, when I'm weak, I just don't even try. Like I express yeah. my weakness through saying, I I I really because I'm weak, I'm just going to have meat today. Because I'm weak, I'm just going to give in, and I'm not going to fast. But I think the the opposite is actually what brings catharsis that that kind of that good feeling of expressing something. You know, if I have a secret and I share it with somebody, that's cathartic. It's now out. I now got it out there, and I feel better. Mm-hmm. I think that that if I feel weak, if I fast and I give alms and I pray differently then I, I am actually the fasting that looks like weakness. In other words, I'm giving up something because I'm weak. I'm not participating in it because I'm weak. I'm giving it up because I'm weak. And now that makes my weakness actually physically tangible. Because I'm weak, I'm not going to eat whatever I want for lunch. I'm not going to have dessert because I'm weak. And I, I think that actually is what brings joy and catharsis and rest rather than saying, I'm just going to do it because I'm weak. And I know it's counterintuitive, but... There's moments that I've felt, and I've heard other people say it too, when they do feel joy by through penance, as I talked about in the penance podcast. They do actually feel joy because there's there's something that they can perceive in front of them that is kind of a, a physical manifestation of their weakness, and that makes them feel better, and it helps them rest. Yeah. It's, well, as you said, it's an outward sign of an inward reality. Yeah. So you're making, you're making concrete actions uh, out of what you inwardly desire. Right. So, yeah. And I have two quick scriptural examples of ways and times that weakness has been a victory other than of course Christ's cross. Um and, and the, the these the one blew my mind a while ago, the other one just recently, but um you know in the very beginning of when when Jesus calls the disciples and he goes out um this is, uh, let me just find the passage. So Luke 5, they go out and um, Peter, uh, Jesus says, get in the boat, let's go out for a catch. Peter says, we already tried, it's not working. They go out there, they bring in so many fish, the boats begin to sink, they have to call in their buddies. And Peter says to Jesus, what? Do you remember? Depart from me. Exactly, depart from me. Get away from me from a sinful man. Because he was frightened by this. He was astonished at the catch of fish. Exactly. So now what happens in the gospel of John, John 21, after the resurrection, on the same lake where the call happened, where he says, depart from me, he sees Jesus walk across the water, and what does he do? If it is you, bid me to come to you. Exactly. And he cries, it is the Lord, and he jumps out of the boat to approach him. So at the beginning of the call, 
He says, depart from me. At the end, he says, and that he goes out of his way in almost a ridiculous way, throws some clothes on, jumps into the water to go after him. You know, there, there's something beautiful about the conversion, the change of heart. But in this story, in John, Peter is still weak. He still can't use the word love in the way that Christ wants him to. Mm. So the weakness is still there even after the resurrection, but there has been growth. And what I thought about this is the same thing. Some modern scholars, now this is not all scholars, but some modern scholars, when they read um, in Mark ten seventeen. So in Mark 7, in 10, 17, you have the story of the rich young man. And this is throughout the synoptics, right? Someone comes up and says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit everlasting life? Um, after that, follow the commandments. I've done all those since I was young. Jesus says, give all that you have, take it, sell it to give to the poor. And the young man goes away sad because he had many possessions. Um, so there, this happens in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three Gospels recount this. But Mark's is the most intimate. In Mark's, it actually says, um, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and fell at his feet. And then when the young man, Jesus says, you know, follow the commandments. Um, the young man says, I've done these since I was young. Only in Mark's version does it say, Jesus looked at him and loved him. So that's only in Mark. And then, so you have the same thing happens though. The young man can't give everything away, so he goes away sad because he had many possessions. Some scholars say that that, because of the vividness of the story, might have been Mark himself, Hmm. who you remember was not one of the 12. So this young man comes up and says... And falls down at his feet. In, a, he, 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 in other words, he's reflecting, I was, I was not trying to deceive him. I was here for the right reasons. He knew that Jesus looked at him and loved him and could say that because he was the one being looked at and loved. And then, of course, some traditions at the end of the gospel, this is in Mark 14, when Jesus is in Gethsemane and all of his apostles abandon him, it says a certain young man was following him wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. That's an ancient tradition that that was Mark. Mark, yeah. So in other words, there's the same thing. He still ran off, just like Peter still couldn't say I love you in the way Jesus mm-hmm. wanted. He still ran off, but he ran off naked. Is, so if, But that's the reason why it's tradition that he was... He was the man who ran away naked because he was also the man who had... No, 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 no. No, the tradition of him running away naked, um, since that was an unnamed man, and because that was kind of thing, the ancient tradition is that he was just talking about himself. Right. You know, but I think because of that, some modern scholars will say the vividness of this rich person, this rich young man who walked up to him, the vividness of that experience that only Mark recounts Mm -hmm. means that that was probably him too. And then it is kind of a, at the end of the gospel, he's still weak. He still runs off, but there's a conversion from having a lot, being wealthy to running off completely naked. In other words, there was growth. He went from being wealthy to having nothing. So there's a growth, but the weakness remains. But that's because, of course, within Christianity, weakness is not a bad thing. It's, it's a, a springboard and a, a moment of potential for Christ's grace to make weakness powerful, just like the cross was. So in other words, when we, when we want to make our weakness tangible and visceral and obvious to us, and therefore have it cathartic and become joyful, we want something physical, tangible to sacramentalize it. I believe that the ascetical life, prayer, fasting, almsgiving can be one of those things. And we won't like leave stronger, but, but we will have grown and our weakness will be revealed as not being only a negative thing. But you will be stronger. I mean, I mean, it's in your tradition, St. Anthony of the desert. Like, Oh yeah. He, he was a, a warrior because he had done all of you know the necessary almsgiving, fasting, and prayer, and and then these temptations weren't as tempting to yeah. him. And this is exactly the beautiful paradox of strength and weakness because 
real strength comes from, from yes, I have become stronger. And that's absolutely the case. As the ascetical life should make me stronger. If it's not, it's, it's not working. Like I should be better after 40 days of Lent or after 40 days of Philip's fast. I should be better at living the ascetical life. I should be better at rejecting sin. I should love my neighbor more. I should love my brother more. John Chrysostom is explicit about these things. If, if, if my, if my traditions, if my, if what I'm giving up for Lent, et cetera, don't make me a better person, then I'm doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. It has to have very real results. I have to become stronger. But I think when you look at it, that strength came from habit, virtue, but also surrender mm-hmm. to yeah. Christ's grace in those moments. Yeah, I mean, you know, St. Paul. I mean, when I am weak, I am strong. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And th- that paradox is, is, is irrational. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But within Christianity, it's not a stumbling block it's rather a, a grace. It's a mystery. It really is a mystery, something that is hidden and revealed. It is something that is, is irrational, therefore hidden from our knowledge, but also since it is revealed, it is something that we know through faith and through the eyes of faith. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down with that. That's I all just, I have. I just don't know if I'm down with, you know, like actually fasting. You know, that's a great <laughs> well, that's topic. that's because you're too strong, Goble. I'm, I'm too strong. If, if, if you, if you truly understood yourself to be weak, then you would want to do it and you would try and it would no, be No, I think it. you're strong in the wrong ways, you know, like somebody who can do the blazing buffalo challenge, like that's not me, but right. you know what I mean? Like uh, for if somebody can do that. That's not that's not strength, you know, like in the same way. Yeah. It's um I don't know, like the guy that always wins the Nathan's hot dogs, you know, challenge. Right. right. Jared Chestnut. Mark Chestnut, Jimmy Chestnut. And he always he was going back and forth with that that other guy, I forget his name too, Jimmy Chan or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. They were always going back and forth year to year. But it's almost like, what is true courage? True courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. It means you're right. afraid, but you act anyway. In the right way. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, good. All right. Well, um, I told uh, Father Michael, uh, and at some point, you know, as you know, we're going to promise something that maybe we'll deliver on in like 100 years. Um, I was reading something. It was in the Office of Readings, too. It said, you know, like that uh, um, it was after St. Martin's fast mm. for you know, like the Romans. And I'm like, St. Martin's fast. And then I realized <laughs> it was Advent. Yep. So Advent might be a penitential season. And I'm kind of like nervous about that because I've already told my people, like, don't fast in the same way as Lent. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I've seen it said before, so. I, I posted something on Facebook the other day. I was walking through Bookies, the little the little bookstore here in Denver, buying a. I was buying Christmas presents for my goddaughter, who's now mm-hmm. five, six. Anyway, she uh, there was this book, and it just had a pig on the front, and it and it the book was titled "Today I Will Fly," like yeah. pigs fly. Today I will fly, but like I was, I haven't had meat in over twenty days, and I totally thought it said "Today I Will Fry." <laughs> Like with this pig. I was like, I am immensely missing bacon right now. All right. Any shout outs, Father? I'm looking, but I Well, I have one in the meantime. Okay, go Um, ahead. So Jacinta Florence is uh, one of my friends. I met her two years ago when we did the Rome Pilgrimage with Leodero. And uh, she has now moved to Denver and is attending the Augustine Institute. And um, I guess, I'm sure she listens now. I don't know how long it's been since she listened. Jacinta. Hang on a second. Can you hold that thought? Sure. <laughs> I gotta leave for a second. I'm not having an explosive diarrhea. <laughs> you have an esophageal stricture? No. Yeah. <laughs> he is hustling off. Ooh. Maybe she bought us gifts. <laughs> I'm sitting here all alone in the studio right now. And I do want to apologize to those of you that, that want shout outs but don't spend money on us because we're really bad about giving shout-outs to people that don't give us stuff, and when they give us stuff, we give them shout-outs. And that's exactly what we're doing now. So, Jacinta, I was going to shout you out anyway. What? Did she give us something? No. Oh, no, somebody else. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, Father Nathan's going to shout-out someone that gave us whiskey, so we always appreciate that, too. She might have. Okay. I can't keep track, but... uh, We're spoiled. um, Well, I thought this girl was uh, at the AI... She's not. Okay. You really a, are. I'm having a stroke. <laughs> Weird place today. Literally. 
And this is the first of two podcasts. We still need to record. No, topic. we might be bailing on the second oh, okay. one. Um, maybe I'm coming down with a flu or something. It's attacking my brain. Um, okay. Thank you, Jacinta. I don't I have no idea uh, where your name came You'll up. You'll meet her someday. Maybe you were one of the Fatima children. Uh, dear nice. fathers, I'm writing to thank you for your podcast, which brings so much information, laughter, enjoyment, and companionship to your fans. I began listening to your podcast about a year ago and became an instant fan of your approachable, down-to-earth, contemporary style on top of the tremendous wealth of knowledge and information you share about the faith and, of course, the humorous, witty banter. Uh, I am so blessed to have a wonderful, devout Catholic friend, Douglas, who has been a blessing in my life and most recently a dear friend of me during some uh, personal struggles. Douglas also is a huge fan of yours, and we enjoy conversations on the topics. It would be appreciated if you can give a shout-out to Douglas Beckman. Uh, I hope you enjoy this bottle of small-batch whiskey bourbon produced locally in Colorado Springs, Jessica Merrill. Nice. Uh, also, if you could find the time to bless the enclosed rosaries and send them back in the address postage page envelope, <laughs> I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, we did that, don't worry. Uh, Jessica sent in a... She was very smart. She sent in a self-addressed, already stamped wow. envelope. Yeah. All I had to do was put the... Bless the rosaries and put them back yeah. in. How much did you charge her? Charge her? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Andrea brought it over, and I blessed them, and then I started looking around for things to throw in there. So I think I gave her a Chick-fil-A mint, um, and uh, I thought there was something else that somebody had sent in. Maybe a sticker to the Catholic Man Show. For only $5, you can have your rosary blessed by Father Stop Martin it. Goebel. Stop it. That's called simony. I'll, I'll forgive your sins for 10 <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah, where that, that's it. That's it. I am. I think I'm deliberately weakened uh, today. Well, there you go. Well, you, you you you've been fasting. That's good. You feel better. Something like that. All right. Bye, all. Be good. Catholic Love stuff. Catholic stuff. At Gmail. Check Facebook, it out. iTunes. Awkward. No, <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs> See ya. <laughs>